So we're doing this alphabet soup as we go down the line of the Ontario Hockey League teams and we bring ourselves to Kingston. And Farzi, I know you and I were talking in the Kitchener episode about how we felt almost slighted by this worldwide pandemic because we didn't get to watch Francesco Pinelli in his draft year. Imagine how our guest this week feels about not being able to see Shane Wright. He was robbed. He was robbed. Ian McAlpine, who covers the Frontenacs for the Kingston Whig Standard. Uh, how robbed do you feel not being able to watch Shane Wright for a full season? Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, I will tell you that I wrote a column at the end of 2020 about the things that we missed, uh, all the different sporting events that we missed. And uh, missing Shane Wright in his second year was probably the number one uh, item on my, in my column that day. A lot of it was about high school sports, university sports not going on, but missing Shane Wright for a season was uh, is a big one. Um, you know, we did get a little taste of his uh, his his uh, development uh, when we watched the U18s uh, back in May, I believe. He uh, he dominated that as a 17 year old. We we saw Shane early in his OHL career, and if I'm being quite honest. He didn't stand out as much as maybe some people expected. Obviously, we don't get to see Kingston that often. Fast forward, and he has 39 goals. Um, what did you see in his game in his rookie season? Well, it was funny. The first game he uh, he played was a home game, and uh, they lost uh, 5-3, I think. He didn't get any points. And when I went down to talk to some of the players, uh, I didn't really talk to him because he didn't really have a he didn't really have a good uh, start, so I just left him alone. And you could tell he was a little—he uh, was a little upset about that. He had his head down, and uh, I said, "All I said to him was, he walked by. I said, tough game.' He says, "Yeah, yeah, I know." Uh, but after that, five, six games in, uh, I was only in person there for the home games. But five or six games in, you could tell that he was getting used to the rough play. You know, the stronger players. How to? He learned how to protect the puck. He learned how to use the body, and, and you know, he was coming around. And then all of a sudden. Uh, in October, first week of October, he got his first goal, and then uh, he never looked back after that. You know, it's funny because with the cross-conference, we obviously get just those two opportunities every year to see a player in the East, Chris and I. And, and it, uh, Shane Wright came on in the latter two-thirds maybe of the season, and Chris and I w- will attest to this just as fans of the game. Remember, Popper, we'd be on the bus after a game or whatever, and we just – oh. Shane Wright, another goal. Oh, Shane Wright, another goal. And we started piecing it together. He's got 20 goals in his last 25 games or some such run that he was on. And Ian, I guess we all understand why the OHL is doing what it's doing for the upcoming season when it comes to the schedule to try to reduce travel, et cetera. But it it is in no small part a bit of a crime that that fans in half the league uh, won't get the opportunity to see Shane Wright come into their building this year. Oh, yeah, you're going to you're going to miss out on a big treat. Um... You know, watching him play, and I asked him this: what, who we, uh, who he follows, who he styles his play after, and and watching a bit of the Islanders in the playoffs uh, this year, uh, he said um, Matt Barzell. And uh, if you watch Matt Barzell play and you watch Shane Wright play, it's all they're almost the same two guys. And Shane Wright knows what he's doing out there now. Like he he can see the passing lanes, he can create passing lanes. He knows where to when to shoot. He's on a uh, in his rookie year. He was on a great line with the import uh, Martin Kromiak and and Zade Wisdom, and his uh, Kromiak came at the at the new year. 
of 2020, and uh, they just hit it right on with their chemistry. It was uh, beautiful to watch how how they communicated out there, the passes back and forth. No one really cared who scored or who got the assist, but they scored. I say that line scored probably 70% of the of the uh, Frontenac's offense from January to the end of the season because it, uh, it was so so good to watch. And of course, all, a lot of the conversation right now is surrounding Shane Wright, and rightfully so. But a guy like Zade Wisdom, who benefited being on his line, but also took his game to the next level. Oh yes, he um, first it, the first uh, season because uh, I've only covered as a reporter. I've a reporter photographer uh, the last two years. Uh, but I was a photographer for years before that, uh, the Frontex. But uh, so I got to cover uh, Wisdom's first year, and they really terrible year where they tanked and he was he was a fourth round draft pick uh, because we had traded away our second and third picks so he's a fourth round draft pick he played in he's fast a million miles an hour even as a rookie but only three goals and seven assists in in a full season and he must have had 10 open nets that I watched and he missed he missed uh, scoring on he was just snake bit around the net but right from the start of the season, uh, he started scoring and uh, from his second season. And good on him to uh, to build himself up uh, to the great player that he is. And now he's uh, drafted into the, the Flyers organization. And even when he played the American Hockey League this year, in the short amount of time that he was there, he, he did quite well with uh, Lehigh Valley. So as so we look... Sorry, so I'm really looking forward to seeing him back and hopefully Martin Kromiak comes back and that line can go back together again. That's exactly what I was just going to make reference to, Ian. And when we consider the fall start to the season, is that what fans in Kingston can kind of expect, what the league can expect, this uh, top trio kind of uh, igniting things offensively for the Frontenacs? Well, one would, uh, one would hope so. Uh, it, you know, as, as we all know, every team is, is in the same boat about who's coming back and who's gone and, and what are your uh, two sets of rookies uh, going to do. But hopefully they're going to be – together as a line uh as you all know we don't have a our coach uh, the coach we had last year uh, got fired and uh, kingston's brought in uh, brought in uh, paul mcfarland to be the coach first and then they appointed them a gm so he worked with the with the team for the whole winter waiting for the season to start which never did and uh, i'm sure you heard that last week he took a job with the seattle kraken so he spent uh, almost a year with kingston and uh, never got to coach coach a game what was the mood like around the city when Paul McFarland leaves without coaching a game? Uh, I think it was mixed. Uh, I'm of the opinion that, you know, you, you should get the opportunity to go to a higher level and you should be let out of your contract uh, if you're coaching junior hockey. Uh, but the, uh, but there are some critics that say that, uh, that Paul maybe used this opportunity to get himself another opportunity in NHL. I find it a little odd that, he, uh, when he got appointed as uh, hired as coach back here, he said the only the way I'm going to get to be an NHL head coach is to be a head coach in a lower level and work my way up. So he, that's why he came back from the being an assistant coach with the Leafs. So now he spends a whole year uh, with Kingston, basically uh, not coaching but uh, taking the GM job as well, and he's he's going back to the NHL in the same position with the Kraken that he had with Toronto. So there's not really a uh, promotion there so I'm not really sure why that opportunity came up and why he uh, took advantage of that because he said as I said before that he wanted to be a, he wants to be a head coach and he thought he could be a head coach at the minor level which would get him to be a head coach at the uh, NHL level 
One way or the other, that's going to be an awesome trivia question someday. Paul McFarland's second tour of duty with the Kingston Frontenacs and a record of zero, 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 and zero. It's going to be a great yeah, trivia yeah. question. Ask, uh, yeah, the question should be ask uh, how many games did Paul McFarland win in uh, in 2021? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, and and connected to that, Ian, and you talk about sort of the the mixed feelings in in learning of this departure. There must have been a. a you know, a, a fair sense of optimism when he was rehired because McFarland, of course, was the bench boss when uh, the, the Frontenacs won a franchise high 46 games five years ago in the 2015-2016 season. He, yes, he uh, he coached for three seasons with us. I keep saying us. I should say with <laughs> the Frontenacs. I'm, I'm not a part of their organization. Uh, he coached three seasons in Kingston, winning 111 um, regular season games. And he Took uh, Kingston to the second round of the playoffs uh, twice, made the playoffs all three seasons. So, and there was a long streak, and I try, I can't, I'm racking my brain to try to remember, but I was a, about 20 some years where Kingston did not win a playoff round, 20 years straight, and it was his uh, his coaching that got Kingston past the uh, past the first round, and we made it to the third round. Uh, Kingston's made it to the third round. Um, uh, the year after Paul left with uh, Jay, Jay Verity as the coach. So, you know, he has, he has brought uh, Kingston some success over the last few years. A guy who brought Kingston a lot of success. Uh, and every time we talk to anybody about Kingston or from Kingston or someone who played Kingston or just who's been around this league for quite some time, the name Larry Mavity always comes up. Do you have a good Mav story? Oh yeah, Mav was uh, Mav was a great guy. I'm you know uh, you know I haven't been to the rink uh, since he passed last uh, December, and it's going to be tough going to the rink uh, with him gone there. Uh, you know I'm I'm uh, just over sixty years old, and uh, when I see him in the hallway, he says, "Hey kid, how are you?" So, and it's uh, in his gruff kind of voice, which which is I remember. Uh, I did an interview with him uh, uh, when Belleville uh, moved to Hamilton, and because he coached Kingston and Belleville back and forth in the, uh, in the eighties and nineties. So he get booed in both rinks. Uh, and he said, <laughs> and he said uh, you know, he said, uh, he, uh, I brought a lot of it on myself cause I would engage with the fans. So he would, uh, it was a good story. One of his, one of his famous lines that we always love about him is he'd, uh, he'd tell you a story, a kind of off color and off the records hockey story. And in his gruff voice, he'd be like, don't put that in the paper. <laughs> and he'd add an expletive in there. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, you got a good story out of him when, uh, when he told you that. So, but again, you couldn't use it because it was just too, uh, too off color. It's funny, Ian, we, we talk about the recent success under Paul, Paul McFarland and, and winning that, that elusive playoff round that had been, you know, a couple of decades uh, between playoff round victories. But the one thing, of course, that, that remains elusive entirely for the Frontenac's organization is that, is that championship. But when you look back on your favorite team in, in the franchise history, it goes back to the, the early 90s. What made that 92-93 team a special one? It just had a lot of character to it uh, from the goalie on out. They had Tyler Moss and Mark Lamont were the goalies. They had Craig Reve, uh power play uh, specialist there with uh, who ended up with a good NHL career. They had uh, Chris Gratton, Steve Parson, and of course uh, they had uh, uh, David Ling, which was five foot seven of just pure grit, uh, grit and. Uh, and just he was just a great guy to watch and and there was one game that i remember because back then i didn't uh cover the team uh 
as writing, I was a photographer strictly, and uh, it was a playoff round in against Peterborough, the third round. I think it was game five, and we were. The, I got to go to a game, which is rare uh, on the road, to take photos. So I'm in a, a like a packed Peterborough Memorial Arena in a, in probably late April, and uh, and Kingston ended up winning that game. But the highlight of the game for me was when uh, Ling was uh, the play was going back up towards the Kingston net. And Ling was uh, a deep forward. And everybody turned up the other way to skate back to the Kingston net. And, of course, one referee system back then, the referee had his back to the play. Ling came up and just uh, stick it stick and, and tripped uh, the, the Peterborough goalie. Uh, uh, I forget what his name was now. But he, he tripped the Peterborough goalie and he went flat on his butt. And I think all 3,500 people at the Peterborough Memorial Arena saw that. And a lot of the players on the Peterborough bench saw it, but the referee didn't see it. So uh, <laughs> David Ling got a, got away with a good one then. I know Chris like is, Linger at all. Yeah, Chris is going to have more to say here because both Ling and Parson, which has a family connection to Chris, have been previous guests on this podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I just uh, Chad Lang was the goalie that he that he tripped. <laughs> I was just then. I was just going to say yeah, we had Linger on this pod and uh, my uncle Steve Parson. Um, we had him on with his brother Mike as well and. Steve always says, you know, you go to Kingston, you look up, you see my left winger, David Ling, you see my right winger, Kelly Corpse, their numbers are retired. What about me? I was one who was dishing them the puck. <laughs> yeah, I love Steve, Steve Parson. He was a really good player, really offensively gifted. And uh, again, one of those guys that you, you talk to, because I used to go to a lot of the practices, uh, take photos during practice at a quiet memorial center with just me uh, by the boards. And he would always uh, come say hi and talk to me. He was a he was a great guy on and off the ice. He's gotten to be a much better interview now than he was back in his playing days. Trust me, I have the VHS to prove it. <laughs> good, looking, good looking back in the day, too. Oh, geez, don't pump his tires too much. <laughs> Ian, all these uh, decades in the game, and as we approach a season after the lost season that I'm sure we all missed, what is it about uh, junior hockey that, that still you know, maintains your interest? Well, I think um, a lot of it is just is just the uh, sense of community, you know, uh, going out on a Friday night in the dead of winter. Uh, what else would you want to do? You know, why would you get in your car and drive through a through cold weather or or a snow small snowstorm to to go watch hockey? You get nestled in there and get uh, get your snacks and and go watch some good uh, good hockey. You know, I find uh, OHL hockey is is great to watch because the kids are uh, some times undisciplined or they don't follow the coach's uh, neutral zone trap or anything like that and they play uh, hard and uh, and they're emotional about their game and so it just makes for uh, for an exciting uh, game to watch what are the expectations around the city for the front next this year obviously i think looking back on shane wright this would have technically been his third year. This is maybe a year that Kingston's built around Shane a bit and ready to make a real push for an OHL championship. They're, you know, with a new general manager, a new head coach, and only a rookie season under Shane Wright's belt. I'm wondering what the expectations are for this franchise. I, I at one time thought that if they got to play last year, that this year would be the year they could probably do a Memorial Cup run, but I have no idea. Like, um, they've got, they've got, um, uh, according to my numbers, it was, I was just trying now. It looks like they got a dozen players coming back that have played on the team before. If you count uh, the three overagers are going to get, they have about eight overagers that they, they have. They only, obviously only take three. Uh, so that would leave nine players. Uh, they lost about eight players. A lot, a lot of them with good experience. Uh, they have 
one of their goalies that played a couple years ago, Ryan Dugas, was uh, uh, he was in second year. Now he's an overager because he missed his first year uh, developing. So not sure how he'd do as an overager. They drafted a European goalie in the Euro draft this year. And they have, so they have eight, uh, at least eight new players coming up, the uh, top four from each of the drafts, plus some players they can get from uh, uh, the 2020 draft. They can sign more than four of them, I guess. So it's a real, uh, it's a real crapshoot. I think almost every team in the OHL probably feels the same way that uh, you don't know what you're going to get. You know, if the, if the Shane Wright uh, plays well and Chromiak uh, comes back, I think he'll come back. I haven't heard that he's not coming back uh, to play his last season here, and, and Wisdom gets to stay. Um, uh, you know, if they go hard on that line and get a, another good scoring line, I understand Paul Ludwinski was our our first pick in 2020, and he's he was uh, drafted fourth or fifth overall, I believe. So he's a he's a, a talented center, and the Matthew Soto, who uh, Frontex drafted this year, is another talented uh, center. If those guys uh, pan out, and we have a few of the veterans back, uh, I can see them being top four and top four in the in the in the conference. But but you never know. All these other teams are still strong. Ottawa is always strong, and and there's uh, Oshawa is always good. You know, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. It'd be hard to hard for someone to make a, a prediction that's going to uh, turn out uh, turn out to be correct. Yeah, Chris and I feel much the same. And based on what you said earlier, Ian, about one of the joys of this game is that the players aren't perfect they make more mistakes at this level certainly than you see in the pros so you kind of you know you can you can expect the unexpected so to speak most nights when you go to the rink and I think this year on any given night you can flip a coin in any arena uh, to see which team is going to be the the ultimate victor because we just don't know after the year plus layoff who got what work during COVID and and got ice and how competitive it was and what they're going to look like after missing an entire year of their usual development in this league. All the all the guys from the OHL that played in the uh, in the U18, they'll, they'll they might have a step up playing uh, eight or nine competitive games uh, back in May. But uh, yeah, you never know. Uh, you hope the kids will hit the ground running, and uh, and but it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty wide open this year. A lot of the times, I find that you know if a team has the best player, that best player can dominate in this OHL. And when you have a underage kid scoring thirty nine goals. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited for what this kid is capable of doing. 39 goals as an underager. What is going on? I'm excited for you to be able to watch Shane Wright again, Ian. Yeah, well, I, I, I saw uh, Connor McDavid play twice in Kingston uh, when the Erie Otters came to town. And uh, Shane Wright, is a, as I said before, is a totally different player than a, than a, than a Connor McDavid. And, uh, you know, I think he's, he's built for that kind of rugged NHL hockey where he's strong on his skates and uh, can make moves and protect the puck and, and, and get open. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be exciting. And I feel bad for you guys in the West that won't be able to watch him this year. Cause I don't think he'll be back next year. Yeah, we feel exactly the same. And not to mention, to add to that, uh, Kingston is one of our absolute favorite cities to visit. So we're going to miss that this year as well. But uh, we'll be watching from the Western side. We'll be keeping an eye on, on uh, Shane Wright's scoring lines. And we'll look forward to seeing you back at the – it's still the Leon Center, right? That's what we've settled on now in Kingston for a little while? Yeah, for I think the contract lasts a few more years. Okay, Leons. perfect. Leon's. <laughs> Leon's, thank Leons. you. Yes, well done, sir. Leons. And uh, we'll we'll look forward to seeing you in person when when time and, and hockey allows, Ian. But thanks very much for making time for us this week and uh, letting us know how the Frontenacs are shaping up. 
Well, you guys should uh, come here in the summertime. It's even much nicer here in the summertime. And uh, thanks for ha- thanks again for having me on. Ian McAlpine covers the Frontenacs for the Kingston Whig Standard. By the way, just a quick aside, along with the Belleville Intelligencer, two of my favorite newspaper mastheads in probably all of the world, although I'm biased because I live in Ontario and more broadly, Canada. Nonetheless, the oldest newspaper in this country, the Kings. Kingston Whig Standard, and that is the paper for which Ian McAlpine writes, has been a photojournalist for a number of years, and is covering the Kingston Frontenacs. Now, if you've been paying attention, and we know you have, on this alphabet tour of the Ontario Hockey League that we've been doing over the summer here on OHL Stories, bringing you up to speed on each individual market to get you primed for the new season that starts in October. We have been trying to connect our throwback interview with the market in question. So, of course, this time around, it would naturally be Kingston. And when I say throwback interview, we're throwing back to an interview that was previously done on the Farwell and Pope podcast. Really, same podcast, different name. So under the OHL Stories banner, we want to bring you back to some of our favorite guests from the Farwell and Pope podcast days. So while we couldn't connect it directly to Kingston for this week's episode, we know this is a very worthwhile listen when it comes to a throwback interview because we've talked an awful lot about the unsung heroes of an Ontario Hockey League team. You hear about the long hours they keep before the team boards a bus for a road trip, after the team returns from a road trip, and all of the days in between. We're talking about the training staff, of course, and the former head trainer with the Guelph Storm for many a decade. In fact, he himself is in the Guelph Sports Hall of Fame and deservedly so. Here's our throwback interview with Russ Rusty Hammond. Rusty, just on the way out here, we saw Fedor Gordiev almost bump into you. I think the guys have gotten a little bigger since you first started this job. Uh, <laughs> slightly bigger. <laughs> because the last game Friday night when I see Torpachenko going to the net and he took about five players with him as he went to the net and put that one goal in. Uh, no, we have a big team. There's no question about that. Uh, I, I think Gordy's got a lawyer too, so I'll check into that. <laughs> you know, since we're talking about the players, let's just go to that point. Do you... Uh, Rusty are synonymous with this organization having been here since the inception and you've seen a lot of good clubs come through here how do you uh, look at this team this year stacked up against some of the others you've seen you know, Mike and Chris, that's that's a good question. Uh, I've been asked that I don't know how many times uh, at the start of this playoffs to compare this team with probably the 214 team, which is uh, an exceptional team. And, you know, to be quite honest, uh, they're two different teams. The 214 teams was a born and bred Guelph Storm team. We developed them. We brought in Kirby Reichel and we brought in Ebert. Uh, and I don't can't think of anybody else, but it was a born and bred developed. Guelph Storm team. Uh, we're in new territory, the Guelph Storm, with, uh, I don't want to use the word rental because that's not fair to the kids, because what we've done is brought in exceptional, exceptional players from two or three teams. And uh, when I say that, uh, that's probably 11 guys. You guys would probably have a better count than I have. So this is brand new territory uh, for us. So, you know what, uh, on paper, but you don't win on paper, on paper, uh, no series should be close with this team, uh, except maybe Niagara, because they've done the same thing. 
you, you mentioned some of those players, and we've talked about in the media about how this team is going to uh, affect the chemistry, how these new players are going to affect the chemistry down the stretch. And you, we've talked about you've been around a lot of teams with some good chemistry. I'm sure you've seen some teams yeah. with bad chemistry. How have these guys integrated with this hockey club? Uh, very well. And part of the reason is there's so many of them in here now. Uh, uh, we don't have a lot left from from our draft days uh, on this team anymore. So, uh, and the ones that are, uh, the uh, Cam Hillis and them, uh, it's been exceptional. Now, you bring in guys like Entwistle, I'm just, just going to pick on him for a bit here, but he's a special guy. Uh, he can talk uh, uh, to media. He knows how to handle media. He's a professional. He's just a great kid. And, you know, he takes that kind of leadership. And I think George saw that when George was in Hamilton. And, uh, you know, just an example of uh, Entwistle. Um, and you talk bonding. After Friday's game, he walks down the hall. Everybody had long gone. The Rangers were just eating their meal down there. And he comes down with three guys. He says, Rusty, these are all my school teachers from Georgetown. They're up here to watch me play. Like, that's incredible. But that's the kind of character. And uh, even the guys from, uh, from Owen Sound, uh, uh, Jersey and Phillips. Phillips is special also uh, with that bonding process. So, well, there, is there a problem? No, there's not at least. And I think when you start bringing them in like George did, he's very careful on, uh, on venting them and uh, finding out who can and who can't mix in with the team. Rusty, you've been here long enough, and I say that with love, uh, because it's, uh, you, as I said earlier, are synonymous with this organization, but you've been here long enough that you saw George Burnett version one and George Burnett version two this year. Is there a difference uh, between the Burnetts? Uh, yes. To be blunt and honest, uh, there is a difference. You have to remember, George was not the general manager uh, uh, back in 96, 95, or 96 or 97 uh, when he was here before. Uh, not so much a change in George. And George is a special individual where uh, George has his finger on everything and to his power. That's the way he's never changed that uh, in the 22 years since he left here. And uh, 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 he wants to be involved in everything. And he lets us do what we have to do. But he's strongly involved in everything that's done. Uh, now, the kids have changed dramatically since George was here before. Dramatically. Uh, you know, is. It, you don't. You, you didn't used to see agents down halls after games uh, and things like that. And you know, now they speak up. Uh, a lot of times, kids. Uh, uh, we try and groom them. I'm sure Danny does on the Kitchener side. When there's an issue, you come to the equipment guy or go to the therapist. Well, now the kids seem to want to go right to the GM or the coach or their agent. <laughs> and it, uh, that's blanket right across the league. How tough is that? Like, how's your job changed from when you first started? And you had those players coming to you with issues, and and I'm sure your job has changed a lot from even just the day to day from back in the day to now, today. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? It's, it's changed, but once once you uh, have a chat with the uh, the kids, uh, they understand uh, where you're coming from and and what's going on. And a lot of them will say, "Oh, I didn't know that, or I didn't realize that." You know, I should maybe come to you guys, equipment guys, or that if I have some issues. Uh, so it, in the end, it all works out. It all works out very well. Four OHL championships for you with this club. A chance to uh, be the equipment manager with Team Canada. I think some kid named Cindy Cro- Sidney Crosby was on that team. Uh, can you pick out a highlight or two from your time as an equipment manager in this league? 
Iowa, I'd like to say it was our first OHL championship, but you know what? I remember, and I'll I'll go to my uh, deathbed remembering the day out on my patio, I'm having some beers in the middle of the summer, and uh, uh, I got a call from Calgary. Uh, I had applied for the uh, World Junior in 2000 uh, uh, and won, and uh, I'm sitting there, and uh, I got a call asking them if I would be interested in coming out. Uh, to Calgary and working with the World Under-18. But back then it was called the World Cup, the World Under-18 team. So, uh, of course, I, I played coy. I said, well, can I have a, a millisecond to think about it? And I gave, uh, <laughs> gave them the answer. And I went out there, and from there that led into the, uh, a three-year relationship uh, with doing the uh, World Cup, uh, the first ever Canada-Russia series, and the World Juniors. And I still say that group of 85s <clears throat> that I worked with is the best ever team uh, of World Juniors because that's the Crosbys, the Seabrooks, the Fanoofs, uh, uh, the Fleuries, uh, go on and on and on. That group of 85s, if you research, was just phenomenal. Now, uh, a gentleman by the name of Sullivan put the winning goal in uh, over Fleury's shoulder, (laughs) and uh, that was the end of that. So a silver medal, and it took me a while. And, uh, you know, my kids and everybody said, uh, Grab, he said, you want a, a silver medal? And we're bred when we go there that silver and bronze don't count and that's totally wrong but we're, it's bred into us now I don't know if well Danny Lebo will let you know if that's changed now but it's bred India nothing matters but that gold medal and that's wrong where's the medal? Uh, you know what I back in those days uh, the equipment managers were asked to take extra jerseys and we would take extra jerseys and hand them to the coaching staff and the therapy staff and we each got a jersey and then they stopped doing that so it hangs in my rec room with the medal around the jersey with my name uh name bar we had name bars made up and name on the on the back and that's where it said now hockey Canada stopped doing that i believe uh for the staff that year I was playing junior B in this city, third goalie for the storm. So I knew Rusty really well. I remember that goal because there was a bunch of us, like guys like Danny Taylor, Mark Versteeg Litwin, uh, Nathan Spalling, who's going to be here tonight, a good friend of mine. Oh, we, yeah, yeah. Wow. We were uh, we were all going or at school, and we were all like chirping each other. The American kids were getting into it with us, and I remember watching that goal and Flurry coming out to play that puck. What was the emotion like after that? Well, we thought we could still come back, but unfortunately, the clock wasn't working with us on that. So, no, it's like, it's like, and I still have a video of the end of it. Well, we're we're out getting our silver medals, and uh, yeah, I couldn't care less. About, and that's like, after a while, you think, you know, that's dumb, that because that's pretty special, a silver medal at a World Junior Championship. You know. All of these things you've been able to do, not the least yeah. of which is represent our country uh, with in hockey. But you're a Guelph boy. You've got strong roots in this community, and you were not too long ago inducted into the Guelph Sports Hall yeah. of Fame. What does that mean to you? Yeah. You know what? That's probably the highlight of my life, uh, being inducted as a trainer. Uh, now, we were also inducted as a team. So I'm in that Hall of Fame <laughs> twice. Uh, actually, George is in the Hall of Fame with that team. Uh, so anyways, that was something that I don't know where that even came from because I hadn't known or heard of any trainers anywhere 
being inducted into their hometown Hall of Fame. And uh, that was quite a special night. Uh, Dave Branch came up uh, to that event. A, a lot of the uh, ex-NHL players came up. Uh, Danny Cloutier, who till this day uh, have a very special relationship, uh, and he was playing with the Canucks. Uh, they all came up, and uh, it was a really great night. And uh, that's probably the highlight ever of, uh, of my career. It's a well-deserved highlight of your career because you look at the names that have come through this organization and they did a really nice piece on the wall down here where they listed every Guelph Storm player that has played for this team. And you ask any of them, then you bring up their time in Guelph. I'm sure somehow, someway, Rusty comes up. Oh, is Rusty still there? How's Rusty doing? You've seen a lot of people come through this organization. Who stands out? Uh... Danny Cloutier, number one, and we only had Danny for a very short time, but we had his brother was our captain, and Danny was the reason that uh, uh, Sylvan was the reason Danny came for the our first ever Memorial Cup run down in Peterborough, uh, and that was the reason. And, and Danny was just a special guy, and you know I can go on like uh, till this day. Ryan Callahan is still playing with the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. He's a special, special guy. Dougie and I keep in touch with him. His dad, we still chat and uh, he's gone through some injuries this year he's not a young man anymore in the NHL and he's probably coming to the end of his career and there's nothing more than I want Ryan Callahan to uh, to uh, win a Stanley Cup but down there and also over the years and probably the Rangers are the same a lot of players married Guelph girls and they after their careers NHL career or AHL they're right back in this city and uh, every once in a while we'll see them they'll sit up in our owner's box or they'll uh, drop down they don't like to come down they're professional they don't like to come down uh, during a game or but sometimes I'll get a call from a pub come on up to the pub we're having some drinks after and we'll go up so there's a lot of uh, and I think the Rangers have the same situation over there in Kitchener they just love the city they play in and the people in the city I want to take this just a step further because I've, I've got fond memories of this city because it's where I first started broadcasting in the OHL and you were here. Ryan Callahan was actually on one of the earliest teams I covered when I was starting out. But you're, the, you're a constant. And in this league, Rusty, we see a lot of change. The players, of course, because they can only play so long, but they move on to pro careers. Coaches, managers, take your pick. But here you are, the constant. Even broadcasters move on to different places, different leagues. Why? Why did you stay in the Ontario Hockey League all these years? I stayed, uh, Mike, because I had two ownership groups. Uh, I've, I've gone through, I don't know how, I, how many coaches. I couldn't <laughs> count the coaches and GMs. Yeah. But I w- was involved with two ownership groups. The first one being Jim Rooney and company and John Healy and those guys. And now the new ownership group uh, uh, with Rick, Rick and uh, uh, who am I missing here? Chris Scott, uh, Scott, yeah, Scott Scott Walker yeah. Scott a good my good friend Scott Walker uh, so they have allowed me and taken the trust in myself to allow me to do my job and never ever ever in 26 years interfered with what I do sometimes they question but that's their right to question we, we, there's dialogue but the ownership group has never interfered and trusted in our ability to run the equipment and it, as you know from Danny over in your side the equipment is huge huge I mean it's not just for standing on the bench with our arms folded uh, <laughs> my grandkids <think. laughs> that's all they think Grandpa Rusty yeah. does yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I'm gonna, I would think it, it was that I mean I've never wanted to leave Guelph I've had chances to go to Guelph or to leave Guelph uh, because way way back when Jack Kent Cook owned the uh, LA Kings uh, 
And uh, he came to Guelph and brought the first ever L.A. Kings team around. I was a teenager then hanging around. And, uh, you know, I, I met a lot of good people. My dad was friends with them. And, uh, uh, you know, I've had a chance to go to the American League. Uh, when Jeff Jackson coached us, I did a lot of American League games in Hamilton uh, because if a team was coming in and for some reason the equipment guy was sick or had a problem, I'd go down and uh, they'd pay me cash, U.S. dollars, and I'd go and go in and work some. But Guelph is my home. I love the city. My dad was in politics here in the city, and I just never wanted to leave. Going back, you mentioned 26 years, Guelph being your home. How did it all start? It started because in the Tier 2 days, all my buddies, close friends, were playing Junior C. We had a Junior C club back then. I couldn't make it. The only way way I could hang out with them was phone Lou Embro, the the Lou's passed away, and say, can I be an equipment manager? Is that what they're called? (laughs) And that's what started it. And then... uh, because I've worked in junior hockey now 36 years. I w- it's funny because I was just sitting down with the wife doing, uh, uh, trying to do my history in hockey. And uh, it's 36 years this year uh, in junior hockey. And uh, the OHA I was 10 years in with the Guelph Platers, yep. Guelph Holiday Platers, the Guelph Bees, and then they changed to uh, the Guelph Fire, and that's when Mike Kelly, I went with the, uh, the Storm uh, uh, after that. So the OHA was great. My roots are the OHA, and you know what? I can remember when I first started in the OHA, uh, or with the storm, da- or Danny Lebolt was teaching a course. He had come from Sudbury, excuse me. He had come from Sudbury, joined the Rangers, and the OHA was putting on a trainer's course for equipment and, and whoever, because back then, there was no such thing as a therapist. Therapists weren't even around. Yeah. A trainer is a, we're, we're true trainers. Us, Danny, myself, Doug, we're true trainers. Therapists are a different thing. So Danny used to teach a course in uh, uh, level one or level three that we all had to have in the OHA. And I remember the going to those courses. Real quick, just on that note, there's there's a brethren amongst trainers in this league. Yeah. Can you describe that? Oh, it's hard to describe. I mean, there's a handful of us. Now, some teams go through trainers like uh, like water opening the tap. Uh, but there are a lot of teams like the Rangers, like us, like Oshawa, uh, uh, Own Sound now uh, has consistency. Uh, 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 there's not a lot of us, but we have a bond that is beyond belief. If if there's an issue, uh, a health issue with any one of us, everybody's on board helping out. Uh, and, you know, a while back I had a therapist say to me during the uh, season, why are you guys helping out their equipment guy? Like we help each other out, even on a game day. Uh, uh, something breaks, a uh, uh, rivet comes out, we help each other out. And uh, I said, because we work together to do that. That's how we work. Whether it's right or wrong, I don't know. But uh, that's a brethren that all of us have. It doesn't matter where you go. The equipment guys will work with each other to solve a problem that your team had. Even though we're playing tonight, we'll help each other out. You've taken uh, a half a step back 
with uh, not going on the road games anymore. In fact, when we first wanted to record this with you, you were down on some tropical vacation somewhere, and you deserve it. Don't get me wrong. But do you miss the road at all? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I do not miss not. the road. And and you have to remember, I uh, it's been a, a two-year process of weaning Doug, who used to be my assistant. Now Doug is the head guy. And I step back and I work home games, but you're going to see me on the road in the playoffs. Because as you know, everybody, uh, I don't know if you're aware that Danny was in here the day before the game unloading. Dougie and I will be over in Kitchener setting up. Just so the guys, when they get off the bus, they just walk like the pros do. They just walk in, their room's all set up for them. And so in the playoffs, I'll travel with the team uh, because there's that extra work that has to be done and uh, we're going to do it. But the bus rides? No, not at all. (laughs) And Mike, you guys and Chris, you guys know it's... You know, those trips don't sound, those eight-hour all-night, get home at six in the morning, and whoa. <laughs> it takes a special family to be part of the yeah. OHL, and a thank you to everybody who uh, deals with all of this. But yeah. when we see someone take a step back like that, Rusty, we begin to wonder. We're like, see, he can't be done. Like, we, we just, we grew up with Rusty in this organization. Rusty's here till the end, of course. Like, yeah. Guelph doesn't exist without you. Is this part of yourself weaning out uh yes yeah and you know you know part of part of the uh, part of the issue uh was as i stepped back is dougie is the new head face okay and there was a slight concern but i didn't have any concern that you know the kids will still keep coming to me when they see me around that has never happened we will don't allow that to happen i am the helper i am dougie's helper now and there's no issue whatsoever with that and uh the kids all on the team know that dougie's the main guy not rusty anymore uh and uh we do that I mean, uh, this summer, uh, I came in alone, and I didn't want anybody around. I stripped my room. I don't know if you guys remember my... Chris was talking about this before, yeah. Uh I came in, and I I completely stripped my room to let Doug do his own thing in in the room. What did that feel like? Because you had memorabilia. Yeah, Yeah, it wasn't a good feeling. Uh, It's, well, we've been here since 2000, so there's almost 20 years just in here of memorabilia from everything from ex-players and you know my personal uh, achievements and uh, team achievements and uh, no it's it took me two or three hours I put it in a box I sit down and look and you know and 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 I know but you know it's better it's better for the kids it's better uh, uh, Dougie is uh, probably in his uh, 40s uh, I'm a little older uh, and it's better for the organization it's time when you step back now I like the way I'm doing it uh, a lot of teams wouldn't allow that they would say you know what Rusty when you're done you're done shut the door and get out that, a lot would do that my ownership group is a special group of three guys one more for you, Russ, because yeah. I know you have to go help Doug and yeah. do your job today. But uh, you talk about being here since 2000. You had a chance to hoist a championship trophy in the old barn yeah. uh, here in Guelph in front of the home yeah. fans. Yeah. That Memorial Cup has remained elusive. Do you ever let yourself think about the what-ifs around that, getting that ultimate goal in junior hockey? Yeah, uh, I'm bitter, quite frankly, uh, that uh, I don't know anyone who's been to five Memorial Cups. And George took us there in Spokane, Washington. We lost in overtime. Uh, I'm still trying to get my head around how we lost in 214. Uh, We went through that tournament undefeated, not even a hint that uh, we would lose. And you know what? You lose one game, you're done. So, you know, there's a lot of... You can point fingers all over the place. The fact is we didn't win it. 
Uh, so uh, this is probably my last go at trying to win a Memorial Cup. And, you know, uh, it's, I don't know if the fans understand the difficulty it is to win a Memorial Cup. It's very difficult. Like you guys won, Danny won one over in uh, 2003. Three. Yeah. Uh, okay. And they're special. It's very, very difficult to win. You can be the best team ever, but if everything isn't aligned, you one game, you're out, you're done. For my money, it's the hardest trophy in sport to win because you only have four, maybe five years in this league at a time, and your team has to be going for it at that specific time, and there's so much that needs to line up, as yeah. you said, Rusty. I just want to go back on a much lighter note to end this off. You mentioned that room, and I have childhood memories of my uncle being a goalie coach here, Mike Parson, Mike and Parson. him taking me in to that room and yeah. him, him introducing me yeah. to the elusive Rusty. <laughs> this is Rusty. And I was, we go into that room, and I was just staring around, and I still remembered. I was talking to Mike about it on the way here. You taking apart that room, what were some of the memorabilia pieces throughout your career that people could, would would want to see that you have? You call that light? Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, I took two photos down of the concept drawing of our home and away original jersey that side away up high uh, that were thrown in the garbage when they left the old rink and I took them out of the garbage because that's I'm a big on history uh, some people aren't but I'm huge on history and uh, you know and I look at them and I think back to when uh, Ron Ivney was supposed to be the coach but he wasn't because he was hurt and Mike Kelly had to coach and at that time I was still with the tier two team but we were side by side like I walked through a door and, and the guys we used to mingle Billy LaForge would uh uh, his son uh, was playing with us, but playing with them, and but the two teams were mingling all to, all the time together. But anyways, it was things like that, and uh, uh, my World Junior memorabilia, my first championship uh, pictures. Uh, uh, the, you know, you take them down now; they're sitting in a box in my garage, and I can't convince my kids want to do it. In my my grandkids, they'll look at them sometime, and so you know that was special. Like that room was jam packed, Chris. It was uh, insane. <laughs> but you know, uh, I want to say one thing, and uh, I've made I have a relationship with the media that I hope all the trainers do. You guys are something special. It doesn't matter where we go, the media are great to the uh, equipment staff and trainers. It, it's unbelievable, and you guys don't get enough credit for the uh, work you do. Uh, uh, I can go to Sault Ste. Marie, or Danny can go to Sault Ste. Marie, we can go into Saginaw. The media people have a relationship with equipment people that is beyond compare. Uh, I can tell you it's vice versa because everybody that gets new into this league, I'm like, just get to know the trainers. The trainers will take care of you along the way. Uh, You guys mean an awful lot to us the other way around too. We know who run things. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Media is special and teams need media. Like we lost the newspaper here in town and we felt it. Uh, so Tony does his best with the online thing, uh, but it, it's not the same. The radio broadcast, uh, your last game, I'm sitting in Costa Rica sipping beers, listening to you guys <laughs> on 
on Radio Canada. Yeah, there you that go. That blew my mind. There you go. Blew my mind. Uh, How was Costa Rica? Uh, uh, warm. Yeah. <laughs> like, like Beautiful, 30, isn't it? Like 36 <laughs> C every day. But uh, I can't say enough about how not, uh, the media has been great. And uh, we are just chatting before with Danny down there about the early global TV days. Yes, the Sar- Jack Miller uh, calling Jack games Miller on Saturday afternoons. Saturday yeah. afternoons. And that was a big deal. Sure was. Yeah. Oh, shit, we're on TV today. <laughs> <laughs> now Sportsnet reels in and you go, oh, not a <laughs> But I shouldn't say that because uh, we'll be seeing you guys in sports night I think on you will. Thursday, Thursday night. night. Yes, yeah. sir. That's yeah. the hot rumor. Anyways, thanks for this interview, guys. That, that was great. I enjoyed uh, chatting with the fans on my history, and uh, you know, we'll go from here. You're it's an honor. Night. Thanks, yeah. Russ. Thank you. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.